Um, would you join me in that as I pray for Kenny before he shares his story this morning? Lord, thank you for this man. Uh, thank you for his wife, his son. Uh, thank you that they're part of our family. Thank you that you have taught him to trust you in a deep way um, from his story, his life, from what he has suffered. Thank you that this man holds out hope, the hope of the gospel for anyone that would want to listen. Um, we bless him. We thank you that he is leading our students, um, that he's caring so well. He and his wife and, the, and our student ministry team, our middle school leaders, our high school leaders, joining them in um, leading our kids in the way of Jesus. We just bless him now. We thank you for his testimony, and we thank you that we get to receive it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Sarah, thank you. Is that Sarah West? Uh, <clears throat> my wife is kind of funny. She just uh, tapped me after the worship, and she said, Ew, that guy's wearing a Buckeye shirt over there. And I said, that's Zoe's husband. And she said, I, knew, I always knew there was a little something off with him. Um, I tell you that because I'm a Michigan Wolverine. I have nothing to say to an Ohio State fan. Uh, we're 2-17 and 17 in the last 19 years, so you too, I heard you say OH. Still makes me sick to my stomach to see that red. But uh, I am a Michigan boy through and through. I still, still root for the Lions. Are you from Michigan? Amen. Where are you from? Yes, sir. I'm from Grand Rapids. Yes, sir. Um, it is uh, an absolute privilege and honor to be with you this morning. Uh, my wife, Bree, and our son, Truman, seven months old. Uh, we've been here, like Jason said, for a couple years. And this church has been good to us. Uh, we've, I love this building right here. Uh, something about the difference in the, the gym is you can't hear the voices singing, or maybe people weren't singing as much because they didn't hear the person next to them singing. And so during the worship uh, in this building, every time it's like the voices are raising up to heaven, and uh, it's so beautiful. And I know we've said that every time, but it is. Every single time we've been in here, uh, it's, uh, it's been really good. So I'm, I'm blessed and honored to get a chance to testify this morning about how good God has been to me because he's been so good, so good. Uh, and so I hope that's an encouragement to, uh, to all of you this morning, uh, wherever you are in your life at this very moment. Um, Jason asked me to, to share on Wednesday, and I told my wife later that evening, and she said, she said, how long does he want you to speak for? And I said, about 20 minutes. And she said, how long of that 20 minutes do you think you're going to cry? <laughs> and I said, probably half. Um, but it started, I'm a, I'm a crier. Uh, I cry every day, at least once. And I love it. Tears are good. Tears are good. Um, and it made me think about a quote. Uh, from a speech that was given at the ESPYs, the ESPY Awards many years ago, if any of you know what that is, by the, the late Jim Valvano, Jimmy V. He, his life was cut short of cancer. And, uh, and he, was a, he was a charismatic dude. Um, and right before he passed away, he, in, 
if you don't know Jimmy V, 1983, they beat Vice Jamma. For any of those basketball fans out here, Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, uh, one of the greatest basketball teams of all time, upset by the North Carolina State Wolfpack. Um, but he's, you remember that game? You remember? No, okay. Uh, he said this, he said this, and I think this is amazing. He said, there are three things we should do there are three things we should all do every day. We should do this every day of our lives. Number one is laugh. You should laugh every day. Number two is think. You should spend some time in thought. Number three is you should have your emotions moved to tears. Moved to tears. Could be happiness or joy, but think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry. That's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, and you're going to have something special. I know this past week, if I look at my week, there was a moment that we shared on Tuesday. The staff meet every Tuesday morning, and we were at the, um, at the church office, and there was a moment during that staff meeting that all, five, all six of us were in tears. And we had a chance to share individually what's, what's going on, you know, things that are, that are hard, uh, real-life stuff. And it's a reminder that it, it doesn't matter if you're up here on the worship squad or you're up here giving a sermon or you're helping greet at the front door or you're helping with the babies or you're sitting here in the pews, that all of us have a story. All of us have something that's going on. Uh, and things get real, things get hard. Um, thus the importance of bearing one another's burdens, just being with each other. And that was one of the best moments of my week. We were all in tears. It was good. It was so good. Because you could see the pouring out of realness, stuff that was, that was pent up inside. Uh, and so, um, I would just give one more example from the week. I had man night with a couple of the boys uh, in the high school group. One of the other leaders and I, we basically just went and got some meats from the King Supers and said, boys, grab some meats. They came back with some jalapeno cheddar brats um, and some, some hamburgers. We grabbed some charcoal and we drove up to uh, Horse Tooth and threw the charcoal down on the on the grill and uh, ate meat together. Talked, laughed. Our phones, you know, we weren't on our phones. Uh, we were just hanging. And then we started howling at the moon. Um, seriously. And I don't even think I saw the moon. I wasn't even looking at the moon. But we were howling at the moon. And it was freedom. It was a taste of just joy and exuberance and childlike. It was just being there. Uh, and it was awesome. Those were two of the best moments of my week. Uh, I love that quote. Uh, so feel free to cry this morning if you're led to tears. I will, uh, because that's what I do. Um, also laugh if you want. Um, so I had the, the privilege of growing up at a camp 
in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It's, a, it's called Upper Peninsula Bible Camp. And my mom uh, has been the head cook there for 37 years now, 36 years. And my parents live up there full time uh, as of 10 years ago. But I was a camp rat, uh, much like the river rats here at Two Rivers. Um, I was basically free to roam about uh, and do my thing all the way up until I was on staff, summer staff, about 15, 16, and then I served on summer staff for, for seven years. Um, and I always like to say, you know, that I wasn't going to go back. And, you know, I was like, no, I'm not going to be there this summer. I got to work or I got to do something. And then I just show up uh, a week into camp or something. And I just, I couldn't stay away because that place is, is like my home. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and in the year 2000, uh, in July, I had chosen to, to stay back and uh, work for a little while um, and say that I wasn't going to go to camp. Uh, and on July 6th, 2000, I was working at a place called Zondervan Books. You've probably seen the name Zondervan on a Bible a time or two. Uh, it's in Grand Rapids where I grew up. And uh, it was the worst job ever. Uh, I, was, I was literally on a conveyor belt just putting books into a box and sending them down for eight hours. It was, it was awful. Uh, and they let us out early that day. And we were, I was driving home, and if you know the Midwest uh, in the summer, uh, there's tall grass everywhere, and the grass was swaying back and forth, and I was pumping AC. I'm not a windows-down guy, uh, especially in the humidity. Um, and I just remember my face was just lit up. I was like, yes, out half hour early, I'm going to go get into who knows what, uh, maybe jump in a lake somewhere. And um, my brother was home at the time, and my brother is not a rollerblader at all, but he had been rollerblading recently and got in an accident. I mean, he fell and scraped up the whole side of his, his leg, and so he had had to put ointment on it and um, and I came in the house and I quoted a, I won't tell you what song, it was bad, bad music, uh, some rap song. Um, I think it was Snoop Dogg or something. And I said this line from a song when I walked in and normally my brother would come back with the, with the next line. Uh, but he didn't say anything and I, I heard him in the bathroom and, uh, didn't say a word. So I just kept walking, walking through the living room and into the bathroom and, uh, he said, shut up, man, shut up. And I was like, what are, you, what are you saying? What are you talking about? He goes, shut up, Matt's dead. And I can still hear his, his voice ringing in my ears today. This is 21 years ago. Matt Van Ryan is my cousin. Uh, he's like my brother. We grew up together. We spent our whole childhood together, lived 10 minutes away from me. Um, grew up at the same church, same camp. Every holiday, uh, we were like brothers, thick as thieves. Um, and uh, that day, that morning, he and a friend of mine uh, that I grew up with at camp, Mylissa Joy Livingston, I knew her since she was four years old. Uh, they died together in a car accident. And my brother was just 17 years old. I was 19. He was the only one at the house. And... Uh, he didn't know what was going on. 
And so he said this, and, you know, he said, Matt's dead, and Melissa, too. Bill was driving, our friend was driving, and, and he's okay. Uh, he, he survived the accident. Um, and my life has never and will never be the same from that moment. Uh, everything changed. I lost every ounce of innocence that I had uh, in that moment. Um, and if you've ever experienced, as I'm sure some of you have, a tragic car accident or uh, an abrupt end to a life, um, the following days, you know, there's people coming together and a lot of support. And uh, we had a funeral for, for Matt a couple days later. I, I had the honor of, of uh, saying some words at his funeral. And then we all got in our vehicles and drove to Madison, Wisconsin, uh, to have a funeral for, for Melissa, and I was able to also speak at her funeral. Um, and then life goes on. Uh, you go back to, to what you were doing. And, you know, all the people that, that came together, we all got to move forward and move on with our lives. And uh, it's about six months later, the weight of that accident came on me uh, and paralyzed me. It took everything from me. I went through all the, the stages of uh, guilt. You know, why would two people that are so good, so good, and they were, why did they have to go and not me? Uh, you know, the shame of uh, why didn't I love them better? Why didn't I do this while they were still here? And the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and it crippled me. It crippled me. I laid in bed for months at a time. I contemplated killing myself, taking my life uh, for years. Um, and I just couldn't fathom living the rest of my life without those people, because those people made me who I was. Um, and luckily, the Lord picked me off, off the mat a little bit and gave me a little new life when he uh, allowed me to, to go back to, to school. I failed out, dropped out um, of college after a year and a half, um, never liked going to class too much. So there was a few, few classes that I skipped. Um, there was a five-week stretch where I actually skipped every single class one time. Yeah, it wasn't good. Um, he, he allowed me to go back to Grand Rapids, my hometown, and, and uh, go play college basketball. And so I spent four years back there playing ball and went to class just slightly more so I could stay eligible. Uh, but uh, it was unbelievable opportunity, and I, you know, I was, I was still in pain uh, that whole time, certainly. Um, and I played there for four years, and we actually won the national championship in March of 2006. Uh, and then I was on my way to see about a girl in California, uh, on my way to the airport um, in Chicago, 
from Grand Rapids because flights back then were like $300 cheaper. Um, and I got a call from my cousin, and he called me like, no, actually, sorry, I got a call from my dad first. And even though I was like 24 at the time, 25, uh, I was like, he doesn't know I'm going to California. I live next to his house. You know, he's probably going to be upset about this. I'm not picking this up till I get to California. Um, and my cousin called me, and he's like, you need to call your dad right now. And I said, why? What's going on? And he said, just call your dad. So I'm in Chicago at my buddy's house waiting to go to the airport the following morning. And uh, I called my dad. My sister, my older sister picks up, and she said, uh, Laura's been in a car accident. Uh, she, we don't know exactly what's happening right now, but we're on the way to uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, to uh, the hospital where she was airlifted to. And Laura is... Uh, my little sister, she was 22 at the time, and she was a senior in college at Taylor University in Indiana. And, uh, and then, then she said also, uh, Brad, Brad was in the accident, and we don't know what happened to him. Brad was one of uh, my best friends at the time, also a senior at Taylor University. And what happened was they worked for the school, and uh, they were doing... Um, banquets, and they were driving back on I-69. It's a two-lane divided highway with the green, the uh, grass patch in the middle, and uh, a semi-truck driver fell asleep at the wheel and was coming the opposite way and went over the median and uh, smacked the 12-passenger the van. There were seven people in the van, and five people died instantly. Uh, and at the time, they told us that my sister was alive and in the hospital, so she was one of the, the two survivors. And uh, that Bradley J, I'll call him Beach, that's what we call them, uh, that he had lost his life in the accident. And so I drove in the middle of the night through, uh, through the middle of the night from Chicago to Fort Wayne, Indiana, by myself. And uh, at that time, I knew that my sister was in critical condition. She was in the ICU and uh, non-responsive to anything, so they didn't know exactly uh, what was going on. Um, and so got there. We spent uh, three weeks there. She was, she was on the third floor in the, in the, of the hospital after a couple of days, but still non-responsive the whole time. And uh, then we transported her back to Grand Rapids to a long-term facility to get get care um, and like a long-term rehab facility and as she started to uh, be able to communicate they were trying to relearn her reteach her about who she is and where she's from and what her parents names are and her siblings and uh, and my older sister was in there with uh, with them the doctors one day and uh, she said her parents names and it was not my parents names and my sister recognized that this was another girl that had passed away in the accident, uh, that it was her parents' names. And so this is a, a long story that I don't have the time to tell, but uh, they misidentified the bodies at the scene of the accident. And my sister was actually dead and buried in the ground by this other girl's family. Um, so...
we met this family. We, they did dental records uh, that night, and we found out, and um, we met their family the next morning at 5 in the morning. And we knew that it was going to be a media storm because uh, I don't know about you, but I've never heard a story like this before uh, of a misidentified person for that long of a period of time. Um, and it's a wild situation, but they looked so similar that the Taylor University faculty that showed up on the scene of the accident, they identified my sister as being alive. So uh, they thought, uh, and I never, for five weeks, I looked at her in a hospital bed, and I never thought it wasn't her myself, and I lived with her in the same house for 18 years. Uh, so my brother and sister and I, we walked into that room one more time and, and looked at uh, her name is Whitney. We looked at Whitney laying there, and uh, I saw my sister. I still, I knew for a fact it wasn't her, but I still saw her laying there. Um, and so, you know, if any of that pain from before had subsided, it came uh, rushing back uh, times a million um, and for the next 10 years until October of 2016, so for 16 years, um, I walked around with a, with a dark cloud over my head every day. When I went to sleep at night and I woke up in the morning, I had not one ounce of hope, not one. And I, I, I was completely, um, I gave my life to Christ when I was seven years old. I fully believed that Jesus uh, died for me and, and paid the debt for me. Um, but when I was 19 and also, you know, in college and uh, starting to follow some of the ways of the world, uh, the combination of the pain and, um, and that uh, made me turn my back on God for, for 16 years. Um, and I walked in the way of the world. And I had no hope. Not, not, not an ounce of hope. Uh, I could have been dead, gone, and buried, and been completely, completely fine. Uh, and it was about earlier that year, uh, I, was, I coached basketball for seven years. I was a basketball coach and trainer in Denver. Um, one of my kids that was 17, she had a full-ride scholarship to Regis University, uh, got in a single car accident, lost her life, and uh, I spoke at her funeral, funeral as well. And it was around that time that I had started going to church, going back to church a little bit, reading the Bible a little bit, praying, just crying out to God a little bit, um, maybe just fed up with the hopelessness and uh, I can't remember the day. It was a Tuesday. I can't remember the date, but October 2016. I, uh, I often fell asleep on the couch. That's what you do when you're 35 and hopeless. Uh, I think I was laying on the, on the floor, and I got up and walked from the, the living room to the, to the kitchen, and uh, I got hit 
I got hit, and I fell to my knees, and I cried out to God, and he took it. He took it. He took it all. That weight that chained me down was lifted, and he whispered in my ear, not in an audible voice, but he whispered in my ear, and he said, it's over. It's done. And it's 2021 today, October. So for the last five years, I have not felt one ounce of hopelessness. Not one. I've been filled up with hope overflowing. That's the God I serve. His name is Jesus Christ. And he saved me that day. And it's crazy I think about this the other day when I was preparing to, to share this this morning. Is I think Jason referenced this a couple weeks ago, but John 15, fine, the, <clears throat> 15, 5, the, the branches and the vine. And, uh, Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And I take that to mean, literally, you can do nothing. You can't have a life apart from Jesus Christ. Because everything you do will lack what you actually need to live a life. And when I think back from 2000 to 2016, this is unreal. I was a three-time All-American college basketball player, won the national championship. Because of that, I got a job with the Denver Nuggets in 2011. I coached basketball and trained kids for seven years, traveled all around the country, went to Europe, went to uh, all over the world. Um, in that time, I met all these amazing people, had relationships with all these people, uh, and yet I was completely hopeless. Why? It was like God just threw me a lifeline and still allowed all of that to take place, still allowed me to be used and others to be used to, to speak into my life. Um, all the meanwhile, I grew up in church. I grew up at camp. I heard the truth, and I turned my back on the truth. And he still gave me that. He was chasing after me the whole time. He never stopped. He never stopped. That's the God I serve. He never stopped. And he doesn't stop doing that with any of us. Not any of us. And so maybe I'll just share this, uh, these lyrics from that Crowder song. I, uh, Spada was in Spada's office. I love Spada. Andrew Spada, that's my guy, man. Uh, I've been so fortunate to get to know him in the last couple weeks. Um, oh, and by the way, Yes, God restored me and, and has given me hope, and, uh, and, and I believe, and uh, I didn't believe before. I questioned the Bible. You know, I, oh, it's written by man. You know, how can it be true? And I never studied the Bible a day in my life. And when I got hope, immediately the next day I started studying the Bible, and I was like, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. My eyes were opened. I was blind, and now I see. Those phrases that you hear, that you hear in Sunday school, some of you grew up in church, 
They're true. They're true. When you get a taste of that, you smile, you cry, you laugh. Uh, you cry tears every day, but they're, they're hope-filled tears. I cry every day, but it's hope-filled tears. Uh, so I'm very thankful for that. And oh, by the way, he brought me an unbelievable wife who's a survivor. Uh, we bonded over suffering. Uh, and her story, she should be the one up here telling the story of redemption because uh, she is a survivor. And I love her. She's so awesome. She lets me watch football for 12 straight hours. On a Saturday, listen, guys, if you like football, find, yeah, okay. Um, I was in Spada's office the other day. Spada's my guy. And uh, he said, I need one more song this week. I said, Crowder, come as you are. Crowder, come as you are. And I was thinking about this with uh, the opportunity to share this today. And uh, If you are in this house this morning and you are in pain, you are hurting. You don't feel like you got it together or you're good enough or something needs to change in your life in order for you to do this or be that or walk with God. Let me, let me read you the lyrics of this song. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let the rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven, Jesus, can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. O wanderer, come home. You're not too far. So lay down your hurt. Lay down your heart. Come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless and all those who've strayed. Come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. I was a wanderer for 16 years. And I was this close the whole time. This close. And the messaging that we've gotten the last five weeks with untangling some of these legalistic terms uh, and the message that Two Rivers gives about the free gift of grace uh, is the same as my story. Uh, that I didn't need to have anything together because I was completely hopeless completely a wreck, completely living in the world. And just like that, in one moment, God took it all. He took it all. He's good. He's good. Praise the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Because he did it for every single one of us and every single one of our friends and every single one of our family members and every single person we see out there. He's just saying, come, just as you are, come. Get a little taste of freedom. Get a little taste of hope. 
because you can't find it anywhere else. It's, it doesn't exist apart from God. It's nowhere to be found. It's only in Him. Him and Him alone. Christ alone. Cornerstone. I told Spade, I'm going to sing someday. Get me up here. I'm just playing. I can't sing a lick. Thank you. Thank you for giving me opportunity to share a little bit about uh, God redeeming my soul, redeeming my life, my heart, uh, and bringing me to my knees, because goodness sakes, we need to be brought to our knees. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Worship? What's up? Let's go, baby. Spade him. <laughs>